Hey, I can't find nothing on the radio. Uh, yo, turn to that station. Stop pity the fool. Living in the 80s. My name's Casey Kasem, and I'm all set to count down the most popular songs in the USA. I want my MTV! Does Theo Huxtable live here? Just say no. Hello, all. Face, you're a neo-maxi-zoomed dweeby. Woo! It says 100% guaranteed, you moron. Hey, where's the meat? I'm a very lucky woman. So am I. Live from Members Only Studio, welcome to Living in the 80s, a podcast where we talk about anything and everything having to do with the 1980s. Best that we remember. Yes, you guys, if you clicked on the description, you saw I've got the one and only, the legendary Mark Dancer with me today. Love it. Thank you. I do, man. This is like fanboy moment for me. (laughs) I mean, I've listened to you on the radio for years. Really? I absolutely have, yes. It never gets old hearing that. Always awesome to hear that. Just a little background. You guys know if you listen to this podcast at all, we are unashamedly based out of Columbus, Ohio, here in the United States. And being in this area, we've had the privilege of lots of good radio stations, radio hosts come through. And some of them you just kind of, you really enjoy. And here's a fun fact, Mark. My first wife, Kim, who I don't hate today, and I don't think she hates me. I got one of those. Back in the day, she said, you know, whenever Mark Dancer's on the radio, he sounds like he's smiling. Uh And that that might be accurate because, you know, we've met a few times now and and you do. You're you're a smile. You're a happy dude. That's uh, I appreciate that you took note of that. When I was getting started in the 80s, um, I finished college in 84 and. You know, if you remember, David Letterman was like really ascending and a really, really big deal. And and rightfully so. It's just super right. talented. But everybody, all the young DJs and people trying to get into broadcasting, all kind of the trend was to try to be caustic and edgy and kind of snarky and sarcastic. And that's never been me. And I remember thinking, I'm in trouble because I'm not one of those. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to be edgy. And I and I can't be. I just can't. It's not in me. So whenever anybody says something like they think I'm a good guy or that I they hear a smile in my voice, that's that's really nice to hear. Well, you do, you do it well. And I imagine your career longevity has extended many of the snarky people. That's kind of come out of style. Here's hoping. so what we're going to do here is i have prepared a series of questions and i'm going to go and just kind of interview mark so to speak this kind of you know those of us that grew up in the 80s no matter what town you were in whether you were hanging out at home in the car at the beach at the pool wherever you are we always had a radio with us right and we always had those djs and those personalities that we kind of they provided the soundtrack of our upbringing so Having one of those guys that, have, that has lived to tell the tale, that has made it through the wars and can join us here today is, like I said, it's a, it's a really great moment for me. So, Mark, before we start, in case I forget, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for asking me. Very, very happy to be here. Question number one. When did you realize you first wanted to get into radio? 
you you kind of touched on it a, a moment ago. I I think I mean the, the the draw was always that I love music. Everybody likes music, but even when, before I was in middle school, I just really really loved music, and and music was my thing. You know, by the time I was before I was even a teenager, and so when you start to think about, well, what am I going to do when I get out of school? What do I want to be when I grow up? First, the dream was to be a, a guitar player, and I wanted to be a, a guitar player in a rock band. I was going to be a rock star. But I, even as a kid, I knew what a long shot that was. And I remember thinking this as a, as a teenager in high school, there are these local radio DJs who are, they are our connection to the music. You know, did you spend, did you grow up in Columbus? Are you a native? Yes, I am. Actually. So, you know, you, you remember, you know, Wags and, and Pat and Wags and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Andy Mann and, and these, yeah. it, it, I grew up in Pittsburgh and we had, you know, 102.5 DDE and Jimmy and Steve and Bruce Kelly on B94. And years later, I can remember their names because they were such a, we, we all listened to the radio and they were the connection to the music that I loved so much. So I wanted to be one of those guys. And, and then I have a real quick story that sealed the deal. And it's funny because we drove right by this place today. I just got home, just got back to Columbus today from a trip to Pittsburgh. When I was 16 or 17, I was out cruising around with my buddies and we were listening to the radio in the car and we knew where the radio station was, the big top 40 station in Pittsburgh. And we drove past it all the time. And we said, let's, let's go buzz the, maybe if we hit the buzzer, the DJ will let us in to the studio. And he did. And next thing you know, I'm standing inside, 16 years old, I'm standing inside the, the, booth at the big top 40 radio station in Pittsburgh and I'm looking and and there's posters of you know bands on the wall and and the lights are dim and he's taking requests and girls are calling on the phone and he's got a somebody brought him a free pizza and he's wearing shorts and flip-flops and I'm everything about this as a job is appealing to me and I knew that his hours were six to ten and I'm like, okay. And I asked him, I said, so you, you're, you're on from six to 10. What do you do for the rest of the time that you work? And he looked at me and said, what do you, what do you mean? And I'm like, that. Steal the deal. I, yep. Four hour workday, girls on the phone, free pizza, dressing. You know, my dad went to work in a suit and tie and was gone for like, I just thought this is getting paid to have fun, which in fact, it turned out to be. Oh, that's great. Well, fun fact, we've talked before on the podcast, once upon a time, that was my career aspiration was to be a DJ. As early back as probably end of middle school, beginning of high school, that's what I wanted to do for a living. Did you, did you do the announcements at your school? No, we didn't. They, they wouldn't let students do it at that point. Oh, okay. Always some teacher that was monotone with no personality. Oh, yeah. Nobody's going to want to go to the dance if you talk like that. But uh, some, some kid a few years before you got to your high school probably did something that ruined it like that. Yeah, you know. they probably cussed or <laughs> gave out a teacher's phone number or something. <laughs> something happened. But <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I wanted to do. And life took its course and one career opportunity led to another. And I kind of never really did it. So I have to live vicariously 
three. Well, you're you five. are now doing you are doing my dream job now because I you know I I got off the air about ten years ago, and this is you're doing it. You know, you have your own show now, and and with freedoms that we never had on the radio. So, yeah, bravo. Well, we we're gonna have to get you your own podcast. We're gonna. I'm have, working on it. It's you know, yeah. good. It's funny I, that you say I will that. listen. I will freaking listen to you every episode. I promise. If you get it out there, listener number one. All right, there we go. <laughs> See, you got to build somewhere. Okay, next question. What was your first radio job? Was it a volunteer job? Was it a paid job? Internship? Talk to us about it. That is a very good question. So funny, I, I majored in communications at a school called Clarion University in Pennsylvania. I'm, I'm really glad I went to college. You don't have to go to college to be on the radio. But I worked at my college radio station, which was unpaid. And it was a good station. And I, I learned a lot there. And I finished school and got my communications degree. And then I was, I'm like, okay, now what do I do? And I was sending tapes to like New York City and major markets that I had no business applying to. You know, one of the other students at my college said, go to, you know, this, the radio station in your hometown and intern there. Just go, just get in the building. Just do whatever the, they're all, radio stations are always looking for interns. And then you'll be in the building and take it from there. And that that's exactly what I did. I was an intern at, at, again, this big top 40 station in Pittsburgh called B94. And that led to uh, my first on-air job. I mean, just a, a couple of months later, uh, this all happened very quickly. So my first on-air job was in the summer of 1985 at a little station in Charleroi, Pennsylvania. Uh, and I even remember the call letters were WESA and after four years of college and a bachelor's degree, I made minimum wage working all night on the weekend. Oh, my. And minimum wage in 1985 was $3.35 an hour. <laughs> wow. In, the in year one radio shift. You'll have your student loans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily, another two months later, I, I got uh, my first full-time job in Wheeling, West Virginia, at a great little small market station called Womp FM. You're listening to the legendary 100.5 Womp FM, WOMP FM, Bel Air Wheeling. Back in the 80s, when there was a lot, a lot of live local radio, you could advance pretty quickly. Almost everybody started at the bottom, graveyard shift, small market radio station, and then you work your way up. And within less than three years after finishing college, I was in Columbus working at WNCI. From high atop the one nationwide building. Not too hard, not too light. So I know that's more than what was my first radio job, but that that's kind of my first handful of of years for paying my dues in these late night radio shows in small markets. Actually, you answered the question better than I phrased it because I should have put on there, tell us how you ended up in Columbus, but you did. So thank you so yeah. much. 
No, you're good. You're good. And I had I had worked my way up in just a year and a half. I had worked my way from overnights to afternoons in in wheeling at this Womp station. And and I'll tell you, it was fun. It was kind of a big fish in a small pond thing. Because again, I you know, depending on the age of your listeners, radio was a big deal. You know, we broadcast live from concerts. Uh, the artist came to the radio station and and went on the air with us and. Even in Wheeling, West Virginia, to have a, do do afternoon drive was pretty cool. And then I I moved to Columbus and started all over again at oh, doing overnights and moving up to nights and and back into afternoons. But uh, luckily, thing I I think I just had l- good lucky timing and and I moved up pretty quickly everywhere I went. Here's something I, I wanted to touch back on for just a second. If you want to rewind a little bit, you worked at College Radio in the '80s. Dude, talk about that. <laughs> well, you know, I think when most people think 80s college radio, they start thinking of Depeche Mode and Susie and the Banshees and Gang of Four. And this station that I happened to work for really patterned itself after a mainstream mass appeal station. Uh-huh. And uh, so we we had a pretty tight playlist. Nothing like it was still college. So what I did was... I talked them into letting me have my own show. And at the time, believe it or not, in the early 80s, when all this great 80s music was being made, I was on a big kick to go back and look at the 60s and like kind of the Vietnam era music, like Sly and the Family Stone and Credence. That was my thing. And I talked my college radio station into letting me do a show called Backtracks. And I played all... Janis Joplin, you know, because we had a station in Pittsburgh called the Electric Lunch, and it played that. That's and I just stole the the stole the format. Mm. Um, so going back to the '80s, you know, obviously, I mean, MTV debuted my freshman year of college. I mean, I remember that well. I remember Flock of Seagulls and Duran uh, Duran, and you know, the Brit pop becoming a big thing. And, and, you know, people like punk rock bands, you know, being suddenly called New Wave. And, and, and isn't it interesting? There were certain artists that managed to navigate that, like David Bowie, and continue to have a really good, uh, interesting career. Um, and uh, other 70s rockers didn't quite, it was, it was just more of an awkward thing. Uh, it was like getting a kindergartner to wear a, a, a three-piece suit. Like, yeah, that's a great. Yeah, I can't. It wasn't them. Yeah, yeah. And my favorite band of all time is the Rolling Stones. Mm. I mean, if I had to pick one band, and and they they had hits in the eighties, but if you oh, yeah. look at their videos, they're in, they are they are embarrassing. <laughs> and what do they care? They're the Rolling Stones. That's but, right. Well, you can tell. We were talking. I don't know. It was recently about like the Start Me Up video. That's the, that's the best of one I'm thinking of. That is like the cheapest made video ever. That was one take. It was, you know, it was probably all they could do to shove Bill and Charlie into the background. Yeah. And uh, then it was like, we're out of here. Because we're, Bill we're and Charlie had so much personality. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> there. But again, they, I, I doubt they, they're laughing all the way to the bank. Some record exec saying you got to make videos like, Okay, watch this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You want it? You got it. That's awesome. So, okay, well, just kind of shifting gears a tiny bit. 
this is a later question, but it was a good segue that you you set up there. Talk about how MTV affected radio programming at that time. Yeah. Because, you know, we've talked before about how bands like Duran Duran, Flock of Seagulls, Adam and the Ants, these kind of people would not have had any American airplay if MTV hadn't kind of sort of opened that door. So right. not, not to talk too much, but because you were there, how did that affect that in your opinion? Well, I mean, the first thing I, I do want to say is, is other than like one year in, in that station in Wheeling, I was never involved in the programming. Most, most DJs are not. Uh, that's usually a program director and a music director. I played what I was told to play. Um, but I'm familiar with with what you're talking about, you know, and then there were record labels that would say, here are the singles we're working this week. And every week the, the radio stations had and have program directors. Those are the those are the people who decide what's what's on the air or not. And the record labels, the various record labels would just call on the phone and say, we have a new Stevie Wonder and uh, we've got this new artist named Jody Watley, and we've got uh, the Belinda Carlisle that we're hoping you'll keep playing. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, radio stations would hear from like seven or eight of these guys every week, and then they'd decide what to play. I think what MTV did, you know, and MTV recently had its 40th anniversary, right? right I guess right. two years ago. Mm -hmm. And I, I read... Uh, like an oral history, and, and I, I did some reading up. And initially, MTV would, didn't ha they didn't have enough videos. So if your band could make a decent video, you were going to get airplay. And the smart artists seized that opportunity. And like you said, I think, I don't want to take up too much time trying to think of an example, but let's just say like somebody like Adam and the Ants, who knows if they would have ever had had a career at all if it hadn't been for videos you can google search mtv day one mm -hmm. and it will show you the entire rundown and there's some best be forgotten stuff and <laughs> there's there's you know uh, there, there yeah there's there's some bad bad videos that, i was watching day one of mtv so no kidding I, I, no kidding. And I think I probably stayed up all night watching videos, but there, there were like Ian Dury and the blockheads. Like I'm going, what is this? But then yeah. I see people like the split ends going, Oh my, these guys are good and end up splitting off and being crowded house later. But uh, it's just such a shift, a paradigm shift in my, in my music mind. Like these are things that I never knew existed. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I, I, I didn't catch it on day one, but, you know, I was already in, I was in college. I was, a, a, I was, had my eye on a career in radio. Um, but as soon as it was available in my area, I, I, I can remember there was a day where I sat in front of the TV all day, blew off classes because we had this fabulous, we had it. Uh, I, I can't remember how, but somehow my apartment or wherever I was living suddenly had it, and I, I watched it for an entire day. This must have been a few years later because I remember Van Halen Jump. A few, that was like 84. But, you know, going back to, you know, for me personally, I grew up being a rock and roll, 70s rock person. That that was I graduated high school in 1980. Okay. So 
all of, I mean, I, the, I have a replacements album over my shoulder, but I above, saw that. A, yes. Yeah, yes. There's a, a Bowie, there's Bowie, Ziggy Stardust and uh, Stevie Wonder, a uh, big star. If I had to pick a decade as a list, personal listener, it's, it's seven, 70s rock is what I grew up on. What MTV did for me, it suddenly top 40 radio was the rage again. And I think a lot of that was thanks to, to MTV. And you had artists like Prince, Cyndi Lauper, Madonna, Bruce Springsteen, Huey Lewis, Lionel Richie had massive, massive albums. And rock stars were having hit records all of a sudden. And, and I didn't want to work on the album Rock Station anymore. I wanted to be, I just remember that being a really exciting time for music. And I wanted to be in the middle of it. And that's that's one of the reasons why I I applied to I ended up. They call it CHR. Do you? Do you? Are you familiar with the term CHR? Contemporary hits radio. Is that what CHR? Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in the mid '80s, with the explosion of these artists, every town had two or three CHR stations just right. killing it in the ratings. And so yeah. I'm like, I want to be there. I remember here in Columbus, 92X and WNCI would be kind of back and forth. Yeah. WNCI yeah. just really took over, and 92X became like a Airband station, then they went country. I came to Columbus in 87. And mm -hmm. uh, at that time, QFM, which was the rock station, you know, if you would go back and listen to their, the, that they were a very pop oriented rock station. Yes. They may yeah. deny it today, too. I know for a fact that QFM played Let's Go Crazy by Prince. I know they did because I heard it and I was stunned. Now, they will absolutely, they've probably burnt any record they've ever had of doing that. But yes, even the AOR stations were starting to have a poppier side of, of rock. Yeah, that's that right. And, you know, whatever rock leaned pop they would play. So, you know, in 87, right. it was nothing to, you'd hit, you know, there would be four stations playing Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi. Yes. Or Love Shack by the B-52s. Mm -hmm. There was just a lot, there were a lot of rock hits charting and and getting played so the the sound in the mid 80s and i think mtv had a lot to do with it was just there was just a real kind of there was this pop rock hard to articulate you know and then in the 90s it, it's kind of cycled back to the extremes where the, the the rock was the more you know heavy duty uh you know leaning into the seattle heavy rock yeah. and stuff and and hip-hop was no longer ll cool j um going back to cali it was you know it was uh west coast gangster rap and, nwa and yeah enemy yeah. and yeah. Tupac and yeah you're right it, it did go it did shift and then you had like that new yeah. jet swing kind of thing in the middle yeah and there are people who will well if you'll listen to them they'll tell you they'll they'll show you the cycle and the it's they'll they'll show you the math behind that. Yes, that's crazy. That's fascinating. We could talk about this all day long. I know, I know. All right, so shift gears just a bit. Uh, one thing I remember back in the eighties was you're talking about doing live remotes and things like that, and it seems like these sponsors would have these different things, and like DJs would show up like the weirdest little promo things, like oh, waterbeds and stuff is going to open this new location, and we're going to have. People like surf on waterbed mattresses or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. What What is your favorite promo from that era that you recall? Um. Yeah, we did a ton of those. 
you know, we used to give away a house every year, the WNCI yeah. Dream Home. Yeah, and I forgot it, about that. Yeah, and it was a it was a huge buzz uh, that we would build up over the course of like a, a six weeks, and we would give away a key every day. WNCI ninety seven point nine with Mark Dancer at three fifty three. Hello, hello, this is Lenore Maid. It is not. Yes, it is. Honestly, go, it is. Go on. Yes, it is. What's your address? What's your street address? It's you. It's me. You win. I want a key, right? That's right, a key. And I'm going to get a house. I can't remember how you got the key, but you registered some way, and then you had to listen, and then if you called in, and you got the, then you get the key. And once we gave away all 97 keys, we would say, okay, everybody who has a key, Come to the house on Saturday, August 22nd, and we'll all try our keys. And then one after the other, we until one of the keys turned the lock, and that person would win the house. TV cameras came. And so when I think back to radio giveaways, I, I think about that one. Uh, that's always the first one I think of. And yeah, we did some, you know, we did some really silly things. Uh I remember, remember Oliver North when he got into trouble with... Yes. Well, yeah. we somehow found the guy who cut his hair and we gave away an Oliver North haircut. Oh, boy. <laughs> and it sounds so stupid and I, I wish I could... It, it was clever. There was some clever hook to it and I'm forgetting that part. But we had the guy and he recorded the promo and I can't remember. Maybe there was a trip to DC thrown in. But, you know... We, the, I'll tell you what, what NCI was really good at back in the day. Our, we, our, our, our program director, this brilliant guy named Dave Robbins, he, his one goal was, what's the buzz? What can we do to make people talk about us? That was what that, and we, and, and not scandalous, but what can we do to generate talk? That was the motive behind everything. And I'll tell you one more real quick. One of my first years here, like 87 or 88, we did a scavenger hunt. And again, over the course of like a month, and you had to find all these items. And then on the specified day, everybody would bring their stuff to some like Northland Mall. And then whoever had the most stuff on the list would win like $25,000, some huge prize. And right. I mean, some of the items on this list were like an uh, authentic ticket to Woodstock was one of the items. Um, a pack of matches from a hotel that had been demolished 25 years ago. Oh, wow. All these all these really hard to find things. And again, same thing. TV crews are there. The whole station's there. We're broadcasting live. Hundreds of people show up. And like, I kid you not, like 20 people have every single item on the list. No way. Now what do we do? Wow. <laughs> and I can't remember how we got out of that. But it was it was a tense tense evening and i apologize that i can't remember what happened did they split the twenty-five thousand evenly i, I mean remember i can't i'm so sorry if i can get that info back to you and you can do a post follow-up <laughs> i, would I love mean to. it was you talk about sweating bullets and i was i was because it was it was during the this was in the evening so i was the one back at the radio station running the board but i could hear them talking off the mic through the the remote setup, and it was a bitty, little 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 mini panic <laughs> happening. Imagine, wow. Uh
I would be upset because it sounds like, I mean, getting an authentic ticket to Woodstock would be one thing. But yeah, I'm, you know, the, the time and the trouble and the expense people oh, went, yeah. went, went to to collect these things. And then they find out, all right, rock, paper, scissors. Here we go. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine if someone was seriously contending for these things, they probably spent a decent amount of money getting them. I, like, that's oh. my guess. I will tell you this, that, you know, NCI was really good at, at, at crossing its T's and dotting its I's. So mm -hmm. we always had published rules for every contest. Uh, there was, you know, we had lawyers. There was, there was, I, I am, I'm so, uh, I wish I could remember what happened, but I'm sure there was some protocol and either they extended it or they had some tiebreaker. But, and, mm. Wow. Okay. Next question here. Uh, we're going to move it around a little bit. What's your funniest memory? Is it the Olive, Oliver North story? Is there something? <laughs> you would think I would have like tons of, I mean, it was, it was a generally day after day funny way to live. You're around some of the funniest people in the city all day. So it, there was a lot of, it was kind of as nutty as you would imagine it would be at a radio station. Do, do you remember uh, Adam West, TV Batman, Adam West? Oh, yeah. I have the curious feeling this is all some kind of literary plot. Yeah, of yeah. course. I was a huge Batman fan. Me of too. Kid. Yeah, I mean, it's, so uh, we had the Columbus Auto Show one year had the Batmobile from the TV Batman show, the Batmobile. Mm -hmm. And and, it, and so it was, you know, set up on display and uh, people could go come see all the cars, including the Batmobile. And as like icing on the cake, we brought in Adam West, Asked Batman to come do like an autograph signing, meet and greet. And my job is as Mark Dancer from, and it was my turn. I had to go out on that Saturday afternoon and be the MC. So I'm like 24 years old. I don't have, I'm a, kind of this punk kid. I know who Adam West is, but to me, this is like about as cheesy as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to preface this and give you some context of what my attitude was that these grown men are going to wait in line to look at a car and get a picture signed by this. Now, listen, Adam West is, is to 24 year old me. He's an old guy wearing yeah. the Batman costume. Yeah. So little, little embarrassing. And so I get to the auto show and they there, there's the car. There's the Batmobile. There's like 150 people. And there's a one line of pipe and drape, black curtain, and behind mm -hmm. the curtain, there's Batman, and and like his his guy, like he's got like a you know his valet, and I walk up, and you know I get introduced, Adam West, this is Mark Dancer, and man, and this is what I think is I chuckle about when I think about this, he was committed to this. Oh and, no, yeah. <laughs> And and I I thought it was silly then, and when I look back on it, really I'm laughing at myself because he was right. You know, he knew that people were this was a big deal to people, and he had his game face on, and he said he goes, listen, when you go out there, he's I swear this happened. He said, don't introduce me right away. He said, go out there and tell them, tell them 
Batman's going to be here in a minute, but he's busy keeping Columbus safe from the forces of evil or something like that. <laughs> and and go tell him that, you know, in my head, I'm like, this is the stupidest. Like, I, <laughs> like you have to be kidding me. But I did it. I mean, I wasn't going to. I, I went out and did it. And and I so I tell him, hey, Batman's going to be here in a minute. He's saving everybody from forces of evil. And I'm looking. There's all these guys are like, oh, well, sure. Yeah, he's that's right. He's. You know, so everybody's it, it just felt like a twilight zone to me. And I go back and I tell him and he makes me do it again. He he builds this tension and uh, then he finally says, OK, you can bring me on. And he goes out and he does this full on earnest, serious, you know, Batman, Adam West thing. And I guess that's not really like knee slapping funny, but I just remember. And I just and now, you know, that I'm the age that he probably was then, you know, right on. You know, he could have been like a, you know, like a jaded, angry, bitter guy. But he was, you know, that this was how he made a living in his older years. And wow. and he was into it. I just remember thinking it was so silly and, and over the top. So I always laugh at myself. That is great. I, I love that story because, again, I was a kid growing up watching Batman. To me, that was that was that was drama. Pow! Zap! Remember the Damn. yeah. Late, later years, I kind of got the shtick, and it was funny to me. Yeah, yeah, and but, so I think that was all part of it. But I'm like, I was I was so self conscious and so easily embarrassed that I just did I didn't want to play. I didn't want to participate. So that's great. Did you ever yeah. see the the SNL skit with William Shatner at the Star Trek convention? It's just like that. Oh my! Not quite that bad. But these guys, when I told them Batman was saving the city, they all, oh yeah, okay, well, awesome, that's good. So did Batman ever break character and say, "You must be almost thirty. You ever kissed a girl?" <laughs> oh my gosh! Hilarious. Hilarious. We had some stuff like that. I mean, we. I don't want to talk, you know, I never saw anybody behave super badly, but we had some, we had some celebrities, uh, you know, get overserved while they were in town and, and, uh, you know, really kind of get out of line. Hitting the flask as they're signing autographs. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. All right. Okay. So being a radio DJ in the eighties, I'm sure you had your fair share of cool concerts to go to. What sticks out is like, what was your favorite? And you can't say Rolling Stones. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Whatever you can, you say whatever you want. <laughs> well, I did see the Rolling Stones for the first time in 89 in the Steel Wheels tour. You know, when I get asked that question a lot, and I, I think I, I always say this, and I think it's, it's, it's I'm being sincere. Um, the very first time I saw Bruce Springsteen was in 1980 on the River Tour, Oh, wow. And th that was electrifying. He was, I don't even think he was 30 years old yet. And it was at Civic Arena in Pittsburgh, which is like, would be the nationwide arena of Pittsburgh. Penguins play, um, right? Yep, yeah, that's right. It's called something else now. Right. But uh, a buddy of mine had an extra ticket. I went, I knew who Bruce Springsteen was, um, but I didn't have any great expectations. And man, he, if you've never seen him, even to this day in his 70s, he's amazing. Wow. Um, 
he we were way up in the in the rafters and at one point he just ran and dove into the crowd and we could see the whole floor of human beings like kind of swirl and i remember thinking he's dead like there's he's he had disappeared and there's no way he's going to survive this and boom off he he pops up out of the crowd and he still has the mic and he's singing and and they kind of carry him back to the stage oh. um they played Jungle Land and Clarence did that long saxophone solo yeah, to Jungle yeah. Land and, and Bruce had the whole crowd uh whispering Clarence, Clarence. And it was it just was go goosebumps moment after goosebumps moment. So I I, I don't think an uh and I was 18, you know, you just Perfect. so I was so bowled over by a lot of stuff at that age. That's my favorite. Yeah. Great memory. Thank you for sharing that. Talking about radio back in the 80s versus today, I know a lot of things have changed. What are the biggest differences to you? I mean, for one thing, it's no longer live other than the, like the morning shows. Mostly, most radio stations are pre-recorded. The technology exists so that um, DJs can go in and just, it's called voice tracking. So mm -hmm. when you hear... Like the guy who replaced me on NCI is still there. His name's Chris Davis. And when you hear Chris Davis, he's not really there live. He's gone in earlier that day and pre-recorded all of the things he's going to say. So it has a kind of an assembly line feel. And I'm not faulting Chris for that. That that's He's just doing what they're telling him to do. So it's it's a bit, it just has taken the, the live local flavor out of it. I used to go on the radio and take phone calls for four hours and put people on the air. And we didn't really play requests other than the Friday night eighties, you know, which, Hey, which like by I the on... way, I loved Friday night eighties. It's like 90, 93, 94. They're doing this. Yeah, that's right. And I was, man, you know, I'm a geek. So I'm just absorbing like, Oh, this is just great. Is it, you know, you weren't hearing eighties music on the radio anymore. Now you could. So it was awesome. Yeah. Isn't that so funny? And it was only five years later. That would be like if 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 in six months we said, all right, it's time for 2010s, Friday 2010s. But yeah. let me tell you, Rob, we I was the one, I was the very first DJ to kick that off. And it was the response was like an explosion. You're right. That started 93 or 94. We did that. I left NCI in 98 and we were still doing it. We were still doing Friday night 80s. I, I don't want to trash talk radio, but the, the the radio station I grew up listening to is it was 102.5 DBE in Pittsburgh. It still exists. I was just in Pittsburgh and my son and I were driving home from a pirate game yesterday and we counted 18 commercials. They played 18 mm. commercials before they went back to the songs. We would have never done that back mm. in the day. I can remember when I worked at 97.1, we had a rule I think it was three commercials and then you had to be back to the music. And so this, I'm not on the business side. I'm, I know there are business realities that, that I don't understand or I don't know why they do it, but who, I don't want to listen to, to 18 commercials to wait for the next song. Mm -mm. All of this is because back in the nineties, they deregulated the industry and made it possible for one group to own all the radio stations in a town. Yeah, it used to be Clear Channel, it used to be j -Corps, and when I worked at NCI, it was owned by Nationwide and 
CI, Nationwide Communications Incorporated, it was that they, they were our local owners. I just think the local flavor has gone out of it. I think that's the best right. way I can put it. I will say this. Radio now, I don't, I don't want to sound like an old codger, so hang with me for just a minute. It's almost unlistenable to me. Just for the reasons you said, it is the DJs seem to lack, you know, you can tell they're not live. You can tell either or not. It just seemed like every once in a while you hear a listener come in. Now you may not necessarily play requests, but somebody will call and do a request for a song you're going to play anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah somebody yeah. like you would let, would say, okay, go. Because I think I may have even done that before calling in. Yeah, this is Minute Work with Down Under. Yay. And then you play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't feel that anymore. The commercials are just way too many. Not to plug them or anything, but I listen to something like Sirius XM, much more digestible to me with all the, the music options through streaming. I can plug my phone into my car and yeah. millions of playlists well, and whatever else. What was what was the most fun back in the 80s was like you said, we would do something like the Oliver North haircut or like when the, all the OJ Simpson stuff was happening, we paid Cato Kalen and we brought Cato Kalen in. I remember Listen, that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. and you know, that's, I mean, questionable taste you know in fact kind of distasteful but well, didn't he become a shock jock later on i think he may have yeah, but i mean right while that trial was going on we brought kato kalen to town and, and and took him bar hopping and uh <laughs> and that you know we we could do those kind of things and you that doesn't happen today you, you have to ask your consultant who asks his consultant and and now i am sounding like an old cotcher but <laughs> we we used to be able to to come up with ideas and execute them right on the fly. Friday Night A's is a classic example of that. It was Friday at five till five. I'm not even exaggerating. Five minutes till five. And my boss came in and said, don't play what's on the music log at five. Start taking requests for 80s. I'm like, done. And five minutes later, we were, we were doing all 80s. It was okay. like, you know. So, I mean, I think that's what people at least of a certain age, imagine that's what radio is. Let's have some yeah. fun. Let, let's engage with the audience. You're, you're get, I'm getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got? I love it. I love it. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a brief break and then we're going to come back. We're talking about what you're doing today. Then we're going to start a little music quiz. See how you do. All right, guys, hang tight. We'll be, we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to Living in the 80s. We want to take this opportunity to thank all of those that helped make this possible. First and foremost, we want to thank Spotify for Podcasters for providing this platform, as well as Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, and about a dozen others. We also want to give a special thank you to Star1079.com and Roundtown Radio, where you can hear this podcast weekly. Also, be sure to check us out in our Facebook page, Living in the 80s. Most of all, we want to thank you for listening. Shall we play a game? Hi, I'm Joel McLaughlin, the most excellent host of Living in the Retro Arcade. If you're into video games from the 70s through current day, this is the show for you. We'll talk about technical aspects of the games as well as memories, the best that we can remember them. That's Living in the Retro Arcade, available on all popular podcast platforms.
Welcome back to Living in the 80s. Got Mark Dancer here with me. So we talked about your career, talked about you doing radio in the 80s, which I think would like go on my list of dream jobs. Actually, if because I have no musical skills, whatever, but I've got musical recall. <laughs> that's about that's all you need. That's that, all the enthusiasm. Yeah, that's right. So uh, you and I met at a bar restaurant filling station in Dublin, Ohio, and Kevin had asked me to to come along and join his crew of people there, and we were playing music trivia. And you know, I I it kind of ran into you, kind of seen you at other events before. But we, we started striking up a conversation. We started talking about getting you on the podcast, and you graciously have agreed to it. So talk to us about what you're doing now, how it works. How do they get a hold of you? Like, hey, I want Mark Dancer to come to my event, and I yeah. want him millions of dollars to come. So <laughs> talk to us about wow. how it works. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I, I still do that Tuesday, my Big Bad Music Trivia Show, which is a fancy name for Name That Tune. And uh, I host three of those every week. Tuesday, I'm at the filling station in Powell. Wednesday, I'm at Bud Dairy Food Hall. That's the Cameron Mitchell place in Italian Village. Thursday, I am at Lucky's in Hilliard. And I play this two-hour Name That Tune game. And we, we have prizes for the winners. And and what we what I really hope... I mean, I think everybody's familiar that trivia, you know, a lot of lot of neighborhood taverns and sports bars host trivia. And mine just happens to be a music trivia game. And where I think people have the most fun is when I play songs that take them back to their, you know, teenage years, college years. It's a, that music has that emotion that takes you can kind of take you back and and uh, just kind of touch on your emotion. I think my Big Bad Music Trivia game is popular because of that. So I do that three nights a week. And then most Saturday nights, I DJ a big, high-end, fun dance party wedding. And that's what I do now. The best way to find me and find pricing and open calendar dates and videos and reviews is markdancer.com. You know, Mark Dancer on Facebook, Mark Dancer on Instagram. So I'm, I'm really easy to find online. And that's Dancer, D-A-N-T-Z-E-R. In case anybody's sure or unsure, not the name on my birth certificate. <laughs> what? No way. Oh, my goodness. Talk about 80s. You know, when I came here, they, you know, there was a quick meeting where they said, we, we're going to have to give you a name. And some names were kicked around and, and Mark Dancer was settled on and that that spelling, because in the 80s, that's when they started to do that. Yeah. You know, we're not going to spell it D-A-N-C-E-R. We're going to spell it T-Z-E-R. I was 20. I had I, I was just happy to have a job. Yeah. I was I was like, call, well, I don't whatever you want to call me. That's what that's what. So yeah. and, and it's been a good name. It's easy to remember. I am available for your next catered affair. Nice. <laughs> I, I tell you what, guys, it being at the at the at, you know the music trivia nights and stuff, he he brings the fun. Very high energy, if you can't tell. High energy. You catch him up there dancing along with the music a little bit, interacting with the crowd. So he doesn't just sit there and you know drink his flask of uh, of of his favorite beverage and just ignore the people. Thank you, thank uh, you. I he, mean, and he's I, more of an Adam West Batman. Yeah, yeah, I have he, adopted. He brings it. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I channel my inner Adam West, and I mean it, and I care. 
Um, and you know, I, I, I love to DJ and, and, you know, I, I, um, and, and it doesn't have to be a big fancy, uh, high end, you know, Western great Southern ballroom type of wedding. I mean, I, I, companies have me play music for their picnics and, um, you know, if it, if it's music and people getting together, having a good time and, and they need music in the background that I'm, I'm your guy. Cool. All right. Yeah. Now, what we're going to do next, our last segment here, we're going to talk about, you know, some of the 80s songs that have kind of resonated with you and stuck with you. And we started doing this. We did our decades here over the last you know couple months here on the podcast. So we're going to we're going to put the questions to Mark. Like, dude, your turn. So let's start off with I know this might be hard. Your favorite 80s song. Yeah, there's no way. Has anybody <laughs> had a quick answer to that? I always have like 13 answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I am nerdy enough about music that I kind of do have a favorite list of my like top 10 or my Desert Island songs. And one 80s song is on that list. Shake Your Rump by the Beastie Boys. is as good a choice as any 1989 Paul's Boutique and I'm not even a huge Beastie Boys guy I'm kind of ambivalent about them but I love that song nice. yeah so, ooh, ooh. Good one. <laughs> <laughs> love it love it all right next question favorite 80s album you know, I it's if you can I don't know who can see me and who can't see me. We're we are on Zoom, but uh the replacements let it be. And boy, I like a lot of 80s albums, but I missed them. I knew who they were in the 80s, but it wasn't until 20 years later that I kind of, you know, when, when we got Spotify and streaming that I could go back and, and revisit some of the people I missed. And I just really fell for the replacements. And um, Let It Be is that sweet spot where they still had that kind of punk energy, but Paul Westerberg had blossomed into this brilliant songwriter yeah and there's real good melodies um it was the last album they did on their uh indie twin tone minneapolis record label so it's got that that kind of unpolished vibe that i really like um but they they've they're they've gotten good enough at their craft that it's it's also very melodic and and hummable and it's hard to talk about music i think uh let it be by the replacements is is not only my favorite 80s album, like one of my very favorite albums. I think the replacements are one of those bands that even though I knew of them in the 80s, didn't know really a lot about them, knew a couple songs. I think they're one of those that were remembered later as like, oh, this is a great band. And some if you've not discovered the replacements, 
That's your homework. Agreed. They, yes. I, I haven't yeah. heard a bad replacement song. They're uh, and in the middle of their career, they they put out three albums in a row that are all to me are five star albums. Let it be, Tim, and Please to Meet Me. Yes, young people or any people. That is your assignment. That's it. Good one. Favorite '80s artist. I know these are all strict questions, and they may your answer yeah. may change tomorrow, and that's okay. Yes, subject to change in five minutes. Um, Prince. And I'll tell you, you, even right now, I'm having the sensation of being at Clarion in about 1982 and hearing Little Red Corvette on the radio. And, and you, know, you know, when you hear a song and the first time you hear it, you're like, whoa, what, who is this? What is this? Like, I instantly loved that song. And, and then here they, they just started coming one right after the other. You know, 1999. And uh, then the Purple Rain album and the movie came out and then Raspberry Beret and Kiss and he was just on fire. And I don't know about you, but I will argue that also the greatest Super Bowl halftime show in the history of the Super Bowl. I would agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Tremendous. And th that another if, if we're I'll add to your assignment list, go watch that on YouTube. It will make you cry. It's when him Purple in, Rain is playing and it's raining. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, goosebumps you, on my goosebumps. What we talked about favorite songs, favorite albums, favorite artists. What's the worst? Worst song of the 80s. Like, as great a decade as that was for music, there were some stinkers. Yeah, I would be curious. So you have a whole archive of people's responses to this? I, I, I guess I kind of do, because each podcast I tend to have like a spreadsheet of a lot of things we talk okay, about. Okay, okay. Uh, so I would like to say as a disclaimer, if even one person likes a song, I think that song has value. I'm not a snob. I'm not judgy. I like a lot of poppy, pop, disposable music. Hey, you Mark, know, listen, hold on. You're a nice guy. And it's okay to call out a crappy song. And if people still like that song, it's their own fault for having bad taste. Okay, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> I kid, I kid. Yeah. There was this kind of uh, heyday of TV stars having hit songs in the 80s. Bruce Willis, Respect Yourself. Don Johnson, who was on Miami Vice, had a hit song called Heartbeat. Everybody tells me how I can beat the odds for now. I've been standing by the fire. I just can't feel the heat. Can't feel the heat. Heartbeat. I'm looking for a heartbeat. And even uh, Eddie Murphy, and I wouldn't say Party All the Time is the worst song of the 80s. Michael, won't you 
but I remember when that came out and I remember thinking, come on, what about, what about the people who were like grinding and out in the van, you know, paying their dues. And then these, these TV stars were having hit songs. So I'll say it's a tie. Bruce Willis, respect yourself. And Don Johnson, heartbeat. My friend, John, and we've had him on the podcast before. We'll tease him about this on his bedroom wall. He painted the album cover, not because he liked the song, but because he thought the album cover was cool. It was like a man standing against a building with like one leg on the building, the other leg on the ground or something. And uh, he thought <laughs> that was really cool. He did a good job at it. But we will tease him to this day about what a big Don Johnson fan he is. And, and he'll always defend himself. Well, I'm not a Don Johnson fan. Oh, yeah, you are, John. Yeah, you are. Don Johnson was cool. You he know, I mean, cool. my, Miami Vice was like a hot, you know, he was Crockett. Uh, yeah. He had an alligator on his boat. Yeah, he's cool. Um, but he was the epitome of 80s school, as was Bruce Willis. Yeah. But oddly yeah. enough, I like Respect Yourself. <laughs> well, and you know, it's it's a it's a classic R&B song. Um, yeah. I even think Bruce Willis made a TV commercial where he's playing harmonica and he's he's doing kind of this uh, doo-wop. For uh, Seagram's Coolers. Yeah. You know, actors today have recording careers, but for some reason it, it bothered me in the 80s. There you go. I had a lot of rules in the 80s. You don't want to be an aging uh, superhero around me, and you don't want to be a TV star with a hit record. <laughs> <laughs> Young Mark Dancer was was not not as callous to the world yet. Just snark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you're in radio. I know you have an answer here. You have to. What is the most overplayed 80s song? It could be a song you like, but what was played out the most? Yeah, and I'm going to answer with a song I, I genuinely like. Um, I would say Love Shack by B-52s. And I loved that that I I loved I loved that song until I heard it one too many times. The reason it still resonates is because I still DJ and people still request that song. Ugh. I have hundreds and hundreds of nights with enthusiastic, sort of drunk people screaming that tin roof rusted in front of me at my DJ shows. And I think it, it, the, the, the bummer is, is that I was so happy that the B-52s got a hit, you know, that they, the, a band that I really respect and admire got to have a career because of the income generated from that song and, and Roar, the follow-up. Yeah. But uh, I've heard it more than I need to hear it. I would put that in the Mount Rushmore of overplayed There you go. And that's, uh, yeah. I mean, and there are quite a few others. I'm like you, B-52s, the whole Athens, Georgia scene. Early R.E.M. I loved. Later R.E.M. I couldn't hardly stand anymore. Okay. 80s Guilty Pleasure song. So we'd like to describe this as that song that, you know, back in the 80s, you're hanging around with your buds. And you say, I like this song, and they all make fun of you. <laughs> you may or may not defend yourself, but it's a song that you like. Thinking of the 80s, what guilty pleasure song does Mark Dancer go to? Yeah, so I have found myself in this position many times uh, with many decades and genres. To pick one, I will pick Wham! Freedom.
That's terrible. But um, that to me, if you're if you're really honest about it, that's about as good as any Motown hit. It, it's the track is really good. Obviously, George Michael can really what a tremendous vocalist and performer. Wham was considered pretty boy lightweights. I mean, and, and I'll say this, you know, Careless Whisper is is another, I mean, I'm not listening to Careless Whisper in my truck over and over, but... That is a good song. That's yeah, I'll defend it as, as a... Best. But I, I love that uh, Freedom by Wham, and I, I don't care who wants to look at me sideways. <laughs> Last question. Is there an 80s hidden gem, that song that, like, you, you're around a group of people, you're pretty sure none of them have heard this song? but you want them to hear this one song. What's that going to be? Can, may I say an artist? I can, I can yeah, even absolutely. say one song. It's, it's your answer. And I don't even know how, how much of a hidden gem he is, but Donnie Iris, oh, who, yeah. yeah, you know, it kind of scraped the bottom of, of the top 40 a couple of times and, and got a little bit of airplay on MTV. Uh, and maybe this is my, my Pittsburgh. I was going to say he's a Pittsburgh guy. Yeah. 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 And I was just there over the weekend and bless his heart, he's 80 years old now. But in the 80s, oh. uh, he was was just just almost almost made it into like a big big time career. To this day, he can play a theater in Pittsburgh and sell you know hundreds of tickets. Okay. But uh, the 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 song most people know is Aaliyah, and then uh, Love Is Like a Rock, and then I'll I'll throw out as a hidden gem song. Uh, there's a song called Injured in the Game of Love. There we go. And it's that classic Donny Iris formula where there's this great riffing guitar, you know, like like Aliyah had that that great riff that opened it. And so did Love is Like a Rock. Da, oh, yeah. da, 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 da. Injured in the Game of Love has a, a terrific riff and just big crashing drums. And then Donny Iris has this ability to, to hit these really high notes, kind of like Def Leppard. Uh, you know, if you think of uh, at the end of a Def Leppard song when Joe Elliott goes way up for that that high C, Donny Iris does that at the end of Aaliyah, and yeah. he does it at the end of Injured in the Game of Love. She broke my heart. And uh, you know how some songs, for me, some songs can instantly t turn me back into an 18-year-old. That's mm -hmm. that's one of the songs that does that. That's uh, awesome. So that, Donny Iris is my hidden gem. Perfect. And... That closes our talk. All right. Up on a high note, because I love Donny Iris. There, okay. Is, is it King Cool, the album? King Cool. That's a great album. So, yes. 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 And I mean, I, I'm going to guess at easily 50% of your listeners know Donny Iris. Oh, yeah. Uh, but to the ones who don't, you know, he, 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 he had this kind of Buddy Holly look the with glasses the glasses and the then he, he was a skinny, geeky guy, and he'd wear like a suit with the flood, you know, the the short uh, cut to the and to sometimes the, uh, a bow tie. Yeah, 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 and you know, just it, ridiculously likable, and, and still doing it, 
you know, go, Great. go, go spend a buck 29 and, uh, uh, on a Donny Iris song and, and maybe he'll get a couple of pennies. <laughs> there you go. We, you know, he's in retirement now he's 80. So we want to make sure that he, he's well-funded. Mark, thank you so, so much. It thank has you. been an absolute blast hanging out with you tonight. And, Likewise. Uh, it has been wonderful. So our closing song in honor of, of Mark Dancer here is a song, another hidden gem, but I'm sure it's one you've all heard if you've ever seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Here is the Ravens with Raised on the Radio. And Love it. We will, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you all for listening. Take care. God bless. Cheers. Raised on-